Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. If you're in business, you probably know the name Annette Franz, who's a customer experience author, leader, keynote speaker, and I am honored to have her on my show today to talk about putting the customer in customer experience. What does that mean? How do you actually build an organization to win? As she discusses in her book, The 10 Principles to Form the Foundation for Building Such a Culture. You'll hear actionable tips, whether you're a novice or an expert in the CX field, you are going to get many actionable recommendations during this episode. You'll also hear about journey mapping and her advice to get started. No matter where you are, what industry and what role you have, there are important key takeaways for you. We'll also dive deep into the personal side of Annette, where she talks about her why, her mission, the best advice she's received in leadership, and what would she tell her younger 20-year-old self now if she could go back in time? It's a fun conversation. It's educational. And I promise you're going to gain a lot. So take notes, subscribe to my Doing CX Right podcast on your favorite channel, and leave a review. It means so much. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Annette Franz. Welcome to the Doing CX Right show. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a it's going to be a great conversation. Anytime we can talk about customer experience, it's going to be a great conversation. Absolutely. So before we get started, I think the world knows who you are, but just in case, <laughs> please share who are you? What do you do professionally? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am a customer experience coach and consultant. I started my own uh, company, CX Journey Inc. about five years ago and, and do all of my favorite things under that umbrella. But I've been in this customer experience world for 30 years. As a matter of fact, this is my 40th year. I started at J.D. Power & Associates back in 1992 and just had watched how this thing called customer experience has evolved from then when we didn't even call it customer experience, right? So so yeah, so a lot of my time is spent with um, clients working on their culture, their customer experience, their employee experience. And then I spent a little bit of time speaking and maybe writing a book or two. So... (laughs) Mm. And you're also a mom and, and, and. Yes, I know, <laughs> right? Right. You know how that is. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do. So talking about customer experience and your profession, why? Why is this your passion? So it's really interesting. You know, when my, when I was a, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to say, you, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. And I was like, mm, I'm not going to be a teacher. That's, that just does not interest me at all. And here we are full circle and we're teaching. <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's my why. That's, that's why I love this so much is that, you know, because I've been in the profession for so long and I've seen it evolve and I've seen a lot of different things and I've seen things that work and don't work. And I've always said since day one too, when, you know, people would ask me when I was at J.D. Power Associates, what do you do? And I would say, well, I'd, I'm working with companies to help them improve their customer satisfaction at that time. That's what we called it, customer satisfaction or customer loyalty. 
so that they can improve, uh, you know, their business as well. I mean, you improve the business to improve the experience, improve the experience to help the business grow and things like that, you know. Maybe not in such sophisticated terms, but that's what I always used to say. And, and I always used to say, you know, for me, the gratification or the things that make me happy are when I see those outcomes and when I see those results and, and know that we work together to get there. So, so teaching and, and helping to achieve those outcomes. Mm. What would you say is a fun fact that people might not know about you personally or professionally? I think I've shared this one before, but I'll share it again. In my younger days, um, it's been about 25, 26 years. Um, I used to compete uh, in bodybuilding, not professionally amateur, but uh, compete for a couple of years in bodybuilding. So, but, you know, the discipline that I got as a result of, of, getting ready for contests and, and doing all of that and the diet and, the, and getting to the gym every day and doing what you need to do, you know, that's just stayed with me, the, the, both from a diet perspective, from a workout perspective, and just, you know, in, in life in general, so in, in, in business as well. Mm, I imagine you have a lot of strength mentally and physically. <laughs> well, there is that. I will attribute the mental strength, though, to my mom, who is, you know, both my parents, actually, but especially my mom. So, so that's, where the, mm. that's where the mental strength comes from. Mm, we need an hour just on that topic right? about moms. <laughs> and oh, definitely. I would, <laughs> I would love that. That's after the show. (laughs) (laughs) So you talk about putting the customer in customer experience. What does that mean to you? It it really means that pretty much exactly that, right? We need to make sure that we put put the customer and the customer's best interest into everything that we do within the business, right? I always always say, you know, no discussions, no decisions, no designs without bringing that customer voice in and and making sure that the customer is represented within the business because it, it's so funny, I, you know, there are so many times when you talk to people about what we do and it's like, well, if you didn't have customers, would you be in business? And so why wouldn't you take the time to bring their voice into everything you do to make sure that they are happy with what you do or come back, you know, all those things. And I, and I love to... Um, you know, use a Seth Godin quote at this point where he talks about finding products for customers instead of finding customers for your products. And hmm. that's, I think that's such a great comparative or a you know, complimentary, that's what I'm looking for, a complimentary quote to, you know, putting the customer in customer experience. Hmm. If it's so obvious, which it is to us, right? <laughs> and, and I'm no brain scientist here, if it's so obvious, why do you think there's resistance? I, that, that's the $64,000 question. I wish we could all answer that because seriously, it is. It's all about the customer. If we're not, if we're not designing and, and creating products for customers that they can actually use <laughs> and solve problems for them, why are we doing this? You know, And it's funny because a lot of times when I get, you know, some new tech startups or startups uh, reaching out to me to say, hey, will you take a look at our product? And I do. And the first question that I ask them is, what problem does this solve for your customers? And they're like, hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> and that's a good, you know, mm. and so, so I, I, I bang my head against the wall too, because why are we doing these things if we're not doing it for the customer? So, yeah, yeah. So let's go into your newest book, Build to Win. Yep. You discuss 10 principles 
that form the foundation for building such a culture and winning. Can you talk about some of those highlights? Yeah. So, So there are 10, like you said. And they, you have to do all of them. If you want to be customer-centric, if you want to build that customer-centric culture and customer-centric organization, you have to do all of them. And I think that's an important takeaway. I think that the other thing that's important is that each one of them on its own has exactly what you're asking for, actionable tips, right? So the first one is probably the most important one, and that is culture is the foundation, right? So what are some actionable tips from that? Well, culture is core values plus behavior. So you've got to define your core values, and then you have to define the behaviors, both acceptable and unacceptable for each one of those core values. But you can't stop there. You then have to socialize that and operationalize that, right? So you're going to hire, fire, promote, at through through the lens of those core values, you're going to make decisions, you're going to develop processes and policies all through the lens of, of those values. So, so really important things that you can do as a result of just that one principle. And, and that a lot of times that alone just stops people in their tracks because they're like, we don't do this, right? You know, so I'm sure, I'm sure you know some organizations mm-hmm. that don't, don't, haven't done that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the second one, I won't go through all 10, but I'll just go through a couple of them. The second one, you know, is around leadership commitment and alignment. So we really need to get our leadership not, we don't we don't want buy-in. Buy-in is like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, whatever, you know, but we want commitment. We want them to commit the resources, people time, you know, human time, financial capital, whatever resources we need to do the work that we need to do to design and deliver a great uh, experience. But then we also need a commitment to the success. It's not enough to just say, yep, here you go. Here's what you need. They've got to all be committed to it and across the board. And that's why this one is so important that it's commitment and alignment because we need the entire leadership team aligned. And alignment is a choice. And alignment is one of those things where you get everybody together and you make the decision by giving everybody a chance to throw out, you know, pros and cons and why we like this and why we can't do it and why we can do it and all of that. And at the end of that meeting, we commit, decide, we decide and commit, right? Everybody is on the same page and is going to leave the room. There won't be a meeting after the meeting. There won't be any bad mouthing of the decision. We've seen that plenty of that too. No bad mouthing of this, this decision that was made afterwards. We go out and we go to our teams and we say, hey, here's what we're doing and we're all doing it. And here's how, how you're going to be involved. And so I think that's a really um, important thing for people to really think about too, is to make sure that we've got leadership commitment and alignment. So before you go on to the next one, I want to comment on that because I agree. Yet the way you say it sounds dreamy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, oh my gosh, to bring an idea to the C-suite and have them all agree and not continue to meet and meet and meet and meet and meet. Yeah. Well, first of all, they have to all be connected. And I don't see that at the top yeah. all, the, all the time. I so agree. it makes our job harder. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time that I meet, first start working with a new client, I interview their executive teams some employees and some customers. And the executive teams are not aligned. 99% of the time, they are not aligned. And the CEO has got to figure out how to make that happen. And, and I... And I have this thing where I say, well, sometimes, you know, or not sometimes, but you have to have the right people on the bus. And if you don't, then somebody's going to have to go. And 
and it seems so harsh, but but it, I mean, it, 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 in the book, Doug Conant from with when he took over as CEO of Campbell Soup, that's pretty much what he had to do. He had 300, 350 folks on it on the leadership team, and he talked to them all, and half of them had to go because they were not going to be aligned with where the business needed to go, and the business was already in shambles when he took it over. Right, so sometimes you need to. It sounds it sounds harsh, but sometimes you need to get those people off the bus and get the right people on the bus to make things mm-hmm. happen. And so, so uh, yeah, I think it is important, and I think it's important for for the work that we do too, because, uh, like you said, it sounds dreamy, but that may be the only way. That- <laughs> well, do you believe that? I mean, this is an old saying, but culture starts at the top. Mm-hmm. If, if that's accurate, then you really do have to have the really right people at the top. Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts at the top and then there's this grassroots groundswell. But it's, you know, especially when we talk about customer-centric culture, it's the CEO is, deliver, you know, saying, this is my commitment. It is deliberately designed to be customer-centric or we are going to deliberately design to be customer-centric. And it's got to be driven from the top. Employees... Employees look at what our, their leaders do, and they look at what their leaders say. And if it's not in in, in alignment or with what you know the CEO is putting out there, or, or with what the you know intended culture, what the culture is designed to be, then then it's a problem. You know, so employees listen to their leaders, and they hear what's being said, and they deem what's to be important the things that are repeated over and over again. And if those things aren't in alignment with, you know, your intended customer-centric culture, then then it's a problem. So yes, I, I am very much in the mindset that culture is driven from the top. And then, you know, that grassroots groundswell gets picked up. Yeah. And one more thing before we get to another tip from your book. Sure. I'd also add, it's what leaders are not saying. Yeah. I've been in organizations where there's not full transparency and you're... It causes anxiety. It reduces trust. And that's a culture. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Well said. It is. It's, Mm. it's the, it's what you, you get what you design or what you allow. Right. And it's what Mm -hmm. you say and what you don't say. Those are the things that, you know, employees are constantly looking for. So, Mm. so give me another tip around, uh, after leadership. All right. The next one is around employee experience and employees must be put more first. So there, there's a saying by Hal Rosenbluth who wrote the book, Customers Come Second. And he didn't actually mean that customers come second. The, the employees and customers, I mean, there's no battle here. They're both really important and there's a linkage between the two of them. But basically what he was saying is if we're going to be talking about putting customers first, then employees have to be more first. <laughs> because if we don't have the employees to design, build, sell, service, et cetera, et cetera, your products and services, where are they, where's, where's that coming from? So there has to be a chicken before the egg or whatever you want, whichever way you look at that, right? But there has to be one that comes before the other because one, somebody's got to build the product. So employee experience is really important. Um, there's a lot of research out there that talks about how employee experience drives customer experience. We just have to make sure that we know what employee experience is. It's not happiness. It's not satisfaction. It's not engagement. Employee engagement's an outcome. If we have a great experience, there, our employees are going to be engaged. And so we have to think about the things that go into the employee experience. And one of those things that people often don't think about is, so I, I split it up into soft stuff and hard stuff. The soft stuff is 
you know, leadership that cares, there's coaching and there's feedback. And I know how I contribute to the business and I'm empowered and, you know, well-being and wellness are part of my work environment, you know, all that. But then the hard stuff is, you know, the tools, the systems, the resources, the processes aren't broken, the policies aren't outdated, those kinds of things. Where employees have told me during interviews, they've said, we don't have those things to serve our customers the way that they deserve to be served. And to me, that says employees get it, right? Employees get it. They know that they're the the, the glue that holds it all together <laughs> and makes it happen. And so we really have to make sure that our employees have what they need to do their jobs and to do them well and to serve their customers the way that customers deserve to be served. So that's an important mm-hmm. part of the puzzle there. Definitely. One question, one statement. So the statement is to complement what you were saying. I believe that we also have to extend in people's minds, not just employees, but also interns, as as my daughter is one, um, (laughs) interns and customer service agents that are, you know, independent, like anyone that's part of an organization. Absolutely. You have to be mindful of them too. Absolutely. Our, our our partners, I mean, we we do. We have to set everybody up for, it's a lot, it's a lot. But we have to set everybody up for success so that that translates yeah. to, um, to the customer. Absolutely. Totally agree. So here's a question right. and it's debate, it's debatable. So clearly <laughs> there's no right or wrong answer right. here. When you talk about employee experience and engagement and motivation, What is your view on connecting, linking, NPS, CSAT, all those different metrics to employee pay? Hmm. Good question. (laughs) You you mentioned my least favorite one in there too. (laughs) Uh, Um, I I don't I I don't think that employee employee compensation should be linked to anything that the employee has no control over. So if, for example, an NPS, that's my least favorite one. If we ask, how likely are you to recommend the brand after, you know, they make a purchase or it's the original, real original use of NPS, NPS, which was, you know, the relationship. I don't have a, I don't have direct control. Yeah, I have some control over that because if maybe I've talked to that customer, maybe I haven't. But I, to me, it, when it comes to employee compensation, I need to be compensated on the things that I'm directly in control of that will Mm. either change my behavior or not change my behavior, right? Or or have or my behavior has an impact on that. And I'm I'm actually a bigger fan of that, you know, compensating based on the behavior rather than the the metric itself. So Mm. you know, I'm I get feedback that uh, you know I I respond quickly. I'm always willing to help. I'm you know. Courteous. I'm, you know, I follow up with my customer. You know, those kinds of things where that are true to the experience versus some metric that, you know, is tied to so many different things that the customer has been through with the brand itself. So, and in some way, yes, I know they say experience is everybody's responsibility, but compensation is a whole different thing, right? Where uh, if you're affecting my my take home, my compensation, how I'm going to feed my family. I need to have some direct input into that. So, I like your response. I also think that if people are going to apply that, there's got to be some good training for managers yeah. to look for that behavior. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Totally agree. And then, you know what, yeah. what I've seen o- over the years is people jump into that compensation thing way too quickly. 
um, because they haven't had enough time to do just that, to train their managers on how to look for those things, to, to, to train them on how to coach employees with the feedback that they're getting, to train employees on the experience that they should be delivering, right? Or, the, or that the customer is expecting, you know, those kinds of things. So there's there's just this, this rush to get into, oh, we're going to make NPS 25% of your salary or 25% of your bonus or 100% of your bonus, whatever. And it's without really putting a lot of forethought into what that requires to actually impact that score or some. Mm-hmm. All right, give us one more from okay. your book. Okay. Um, well, this is a big one for me because this is this is a link to my first book and that is customer understanding is the cornerstone, right? It's, it's uh, the cornerstone of customer centricity. The cornerstone is that first stone that's laid in the, in the foundation of an organization and everything else, it reflects off of that or emanates from that. And there's a graphic in the book that, that, shows that well, right? So customer, the cornerstone of that on that graphic is customer understanding. And then the decisions, um, discussions, decisions, designs, innovation, all sort of stem from that stone. And then below that stone is the culture, which is the foundation. So I, I think that's such an important, you know, obviously I, the first book that I wrote was, was about that. And I think it's such an important thing for people to do, to listen to customers, to really understand the customers, to, uh, to know who they really are, the, their needs, pain points, problems to solve, preferences, expectations, all of those things, so that we can design the experience that's going to help them solve whatever it is that they're trying to solve or do whatever they're trying to do. So customer understanding is just such an important thing. And you know, I talk about the three ways in this book, but obviously the first book I wrote about the three ways of customer understanding is listening, which is about feedback and the breadcrumbs of data that customers leave behind as they interact and transact with the brand. Characterize, which is all about developing personas, <laughs> getting out there and talking to customers. Don't just sit around a table and, and you know, think mm-hmm. you know who your customers are. Go out and talk to customers. And then empathize, which is all about journey mapping and service blueprinting and making sure that we really with customers, do the journey maps and then do the service blueprints internally to really understand the people, the tools, the systems, and the processes that are creating that experience that the customer's having. So so three heavy hitters, but three very important inputs into your customer experience strategy. Mm. Journey mapping is getting much more popular. Yeah. That's a good thing. However, I think people are still scared and don't know where to start. Yeah. What advice do you have for those listeners who who are confused? What do I do? Yeah. What are the basics? I would say, and and this is uh, in all seriousness, get some help and do it right. Because what ends up happening is it's, if it's not done right, you're spending time, money, Customer, customer, hopefully you've got customers in the room. If you're not, then you're definitely not doing it right. But you're you're spending time and money or you're wasting time and money and effort to do something that's not going to go anywhere. So the other thing is, is it's it's a tool, but it's also a process. You know, you've got the journey map, you've got the current state map, but then you've also got to do the current state service blueprint. You've got to do the future state map. You've got to do the future state blueprint. You've got, to, you've got to make sure that you do all the right parts and pieces there so that it becomes the catalyst for change that it's meant to be. And so it's not just as simple as, as you know, you and a couple of friends sitting in a room and, and trying to figure out what the experience is that, or, you know, what steps the customers are going through. It's a lot more detailed than that. So that's why my biggest and best advice is get some help, 
from somebody who can help you do it right, because otherwise it's just going to be a waste of time. And I've seen those headlines time and time again. And I've heard more and more people too lately say, I'm not going to waste my time with that, you know, but it's, it's not a waste of time if you do it right. Mm. The other thing I would say is for people who do invest in help, I want them to also know that this is, when you talk about culture before, this is a great way to break silos and build that culture of understanding and the domino effect of how everybody's job affects each other. Yeah, Yeah. great point. Absolutely great point. Mm. And the last thing I would say about journey mapping that... I think is also advantageous, something we're doing at my workplace is looking at the internal experience as well. Employee, agents, walking in their shoes and and then designing, but then validating what best looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, great point. You know, journey mapping isn't just for customers and the customer experience it's employees, employee experience, vendors, partners, all, all of it, right? So yeah. it's not just about the customer. And then like to your point too, you, you want to link that all together too. Yeah. Linking is actually everything. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it goes hand in hand. It's the sister yeah. to closing the loop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, so... As we're coming close to the end, let me ask you a few more questions. Okay. One is CX trends. We're in very strange up and down economic times. Yes. Do you have an opinion of the trends coming? Um, I'm not. I'm not big on trends because um, the way that I see it is is that there are so many p- companies, so many companies that still need to focus on the basics that it's not even to start to talk about the next shiny object is really just overwhelming for more, more folks. So I would say focus on the culture and the employee experience. And after everything that we've just been through in the last two years and, and what we're still going through today with whatever they're calling it these days, great resignation, reshuffle, reset, whatever. <laughs> you know, I, and th- those are two important things that we need to focus on, the culture and the employee experience uh, to the point where if employees need to unionize in order to be heard, we have a problem, mm. right? I mean, I just think we have a problem if that's what it's taking right now. And so I think we already knew we had a problem, but that just is a is a symptom or a, yeah, cause of, of, of that. So, or, out, or outcome of that, I should say. That's so well said. Yeah, it's very true. All right. Leadership. What is the best leadership advice you've received or given? I'm going to say it's something that I, the advice that I've received. And it was, it was, it came about when I was working with a client a couple of years ago. And there were some issues with the leadership team for this particular client. And it just didn't feel like um, they cared about their employees at all. And so I reached out to, I don't know if you know who Bob Chapman is. He's the CEO of Barry Way Miller. And I've, I talk about him all the time because he just is such an inspirational role model when it comes to exactly this, taking care of your people. And he wrote a book called Everybody Matters. And he's out there talking about things that he called truly human leadership. He and Simon Sinek created a leadership institute years ago, which has now been evolved into um, his own consulting firm and, um, and leadership institute. But, but he basically said, so I had reached out to him at the time and we had talked 
several times before that. But I reached out to him at the time that I was working with this client. And I said, I, I just can't get the leadership team to care. They just don't care about their employees, especially the CEO. And I said, you know, what do you do? And he said, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can't make people care. You just cannot make people care. It makes all the difference in the world if they do care. And, and his, his whole thought process was, you know, don't view your employees as the cogs in the wheel to your success or to your business's success. View them as the humans that they are and care for them. But he just said, we can't force people to care. So if, if somebody's in a leadership position and doesn't really care about their people, ugh, not a good thing, right? So, and, and I found that to be true. You know, that was, that was three years ago. And I've been in other scenarios or situations where that came about and you just mm. can't make people care. And it's sad. It really is sad. But it kind of circles back to what you said at the beginning in Campbell's Soup. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So besides caring... If I had a ton of CEOs and leaders in my room right now, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember most? I think it's what we talked about earlier when we talked about leadership. And it's that they they really shape the business. I, I want to, how does the quote go? The leader is the the shadow the culture is the shadow of the leader. I think that's how that quote goes. They shape the business, right? And that seems so obvious. And you would think that these leaders, these CEOs, these entrepreneurs would know that. But I don't think they all do. Otherwise, we may not, we would not be in the situation that we're in. So like I said, it seems obvious, but I mean it in the sense that, like I said earlier, employees watch what they do and they listen to what's being said. So you have to work, choose your words and your actions carefully and, you know, and, and take it from there. But I don't know that mm. every, every leader thinks that way. Mm. They don't. They don't. But it, but it's getting better because of people like you and so many CXers who are driving the movement yeah. of caring, of listening, of yeah. appreciation and the basics. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my last question okay. for you, it's my favorite question I ask okay. everyone. If you could go back in time to your younger let's say 20, 25-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, personally or professionally, what would you tell younger Annette? So that would only be like just a few years ago because even though I've been doing this for 30 <laughs> years, I started when I was four, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Oh my goodness, there would be so many things. There, it, I mean, it's just crazy. There would be so many things. And I don't mean to take us off in a whole different direction, but I think this is probably the biggest and the most important thing because this is sort of a reflection of my career. <laughs> and it would be a warning about the difference between men and women and how they're treated in the workplace. And I'll just leave it at that because we could go off on that in many different directions. And I will just say that that is probably the biggest thing that I would have warned myself about. <laughs> what would you tell your children today? Well, so I have two. Yeah, no, fair question. I have two boys. I have two boys and we've had this conversation and they are both sickened by some of the stories, you know? And so I think that that's the advice is that, you know, we're all humans and we're all equal, right? doesn't matter if we're a man or a woman or if mm -hmm. we're black or white or Asian or whatever, you know, we're all humans and we all deserve the same respect and, you know, equality in terms of the, the gender gap and the pay and the, all, all of that, right? Like none of that is, 
is, and we should never treat anybody as anything less than what they are, which is, which is human. So, so, and like I said, we've had those conversations and they get it. Yeah, well, we can't go back in time, but I do think through our children that we can infuse our smarts. Yeah, absolutely. And give, and give them a chance to encourage them to have a voice. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely agree. Well, I'm so grateful that you've been here today and I'm going to put links to your website and social media on in the show notes and your book and... Where's the best place for people to reach you? Oh, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. I, I know we've, we've been trying to do this for a while now. <laughs> and we finally yes. are here. I think, it's been, I think it's been six months in the making. So we're finally here. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, so you can either one of my websites, cx-journey.com or annettefranz.com. You can find me in either one of those places or connect with me on LinkedIn. I have met some really great people on LinkedIn. And so I'm, I'm totally open to making connections there. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thanks, you too. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.